0: It's April 19th, 2021, this is Rook. With the beginning of a new Persian century in the year 1400, maybe it's time to look back, way back, and ask some questions about who we were before these last 1400 years, or more specifically, before Islam. What was Iran, and who were Iranians prior to 650 AD? And what are the threads of continuity for those of us of Iranian descent today? Is any peacocking deserved, or should we be more reserved? A feature conversation with historian, scholar, and writer Richard Foltz, an expert in the history of Iranian civilization. Richard Foltz coming up, plus your letters about Faramaz Aslani. This is conversations from, to, and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gameshi. This is Rook. Hi there, welcome to episode number 103 of Rook, coming to you from Toronto, Canada, with a salute to all of you joining us from around the world. Hosho welcome, Durud Bashama. We are on an ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Instagram, YouTube, iTunes, CastBox, and Telegram. Hello to you, the fabulous Keon.
1: Hello, Jian.
0: Hello, Captain Reza. Hello, sir. And hello, Groovy Shia. Hi. You've never been that enth- enthusiastic <laughs> in your life yeah. for anything. What's happened to you? What have you been eating, doing?
1: He's speaking, hi. He's hi. Not even saying yeah. hi. hi. He's usually, mm, hello.
0: Uh, Professor Richard Fultz about to join us. I'm excited for this. I've, I've, read, uh, I've just read two of his books in preparation, including his latest book, A History of the Tajiks. Iranians of the East. Apparently the first book ever to go this deep into the uh, history of the Tajik people. You know, there's a lot that Iranians say about how great our history is. <laughs> Some of it, you know, it in- intersects with our... Which it is. It's all Persian to us <laughs> yes. Segments, you know. Um, especially before the Arab invasion mm, and Islam... Yeah. We say, oh, we, we have this great civilization. We uh, uh, Let's put it to the expert. Let's ask uh, mm-hmm. Richard Foltz about this. I have so many questions for him, albeit elementary ones to begin with. Just uh, um, who were we? Uh, what are the threads of continuity? Uh, what was Iran? Mm. How do we explain some of our peacocking? Uh, <laughs> is it deserved? All of that. So very much looking forward to this. Richard Foltz, joining us in just a few moments, on the line from Quebec. In the coming days on Rook, by the way, Peter Banifaz mm. coming up on Thursday. Um,
1: it's going to be good.
0: He's this. Uh, he's an Iranian-American actor. He's a comedic actor as well. I yeah. mean, he does this comedy. And recently on his Instagram, he's been doing these little videos yeah. during the pandemic of a dad <laughs> and, a, and a son, a Persian dad, and he plays both you know and what i love about it what i love about him too is he doesn't put on there's no costume or anything he's just the same guy (laughs) he just kind of puts a shawl on and that's his dad but he plays this like ornery persian dad you know yelling and it's very fun it's the
1: best he's my favorite oh yeah he's just truly captures the essence of dysfunctional persian families
0: (laughs) yes yes he's doing and it's really catching on i mean these videos are, are going viral so peter bonifaz joining us on thursday next monday a very special conversation with bahman globadi uh, the great uh, filmmaker that's a week from today i'm so very much looking forward to speaking with him uh in the coming days as well persian yoga and piaz miaz mm. so uh this is a guy named Masoud musay who i guess is better known now as piaz miaz he's uh he's an entrepreneur he's an iranian canadian fellow who's in vancouver He's his mission is. He's always been interested in cuisine and mm-hmm. and cooking. He says I'm not I'm not an expert. I'm not a, a formally trained chef, mm-hmm. but um, he's very accessible. He's he's uh, he's attractive, and uh, I don't <laughs> why know why, you, why look, I don't know why I'm everybody. looking at you. I can look at Shia. <laughs> he's attractive, Shia, <laughs> okay. and. Uh, mission is to bring Persian cuisine to the world and do it with his own little twist. And it's a great brand, Piaz Miaz. And it's taken off. It's taken off during COVID when everybody's online looking for things. So he will be joining us. I
2: like his insight on our clubhouse, actually. Yeah, yeah. That's right. He joined
0: us on Clubhouse last Friday when we were talking about where is home. What did he say? Do you remember?
2: Uh, he said Since that you liked his insight the
0: home is the place that you smell Gormas Abzi. <laughs> 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 There's a self serving comment on his part. It's part of his brand <laughs> yeah, yeah. to be promoting Gormas sabzi But listen, so since I've been researching Piaz Mias, he's had an effect on me mm. because he is a big fan of intermittent fasting.
1: Okay. It's like he's have been you he's been doing oh. that for you yeah. So
0: as of three days ago. I started intermittent fasting. I
1: tried that for a while it, yeah it, it it, works. because of or
2: well because not of because fear? of Ramadan <laughs> yeah. but
0: I'll take it I mean if is you know it? if anybody wants to think it's because of Ramadan that's fine too no uh no it's for, for health reasons because he makes the case that it, it, not just for you know watching your weight or something mm-hmm. but that the body uh, benefits from a, a long period of fasting after so so intermittent fasting is at least as I'm doing it is or I'm trying it I mean who listen, I this might might last it until lasts tomorrow. A few weeks from me, I don't <laughs> but know. <go> on. <laughs> but but you go sixteen hours of fasting and then you eat for eight hours as much as you want, and then you go sixteen hours so again. So
1: which times are you gonna So I'm
0: doing so I'm kind of having my last meal at around eight thirty PM. Okay. So the next day at twelve thirty I can start eating. Oh
1: that's again. not bad. Yeah. That's what I was doing.
0: So thinking. so I you know, in between you can have water. <laughs> coffee Delicious. Uh, but anyway my point about this is that um, so I got that from Piaz Mian okay. so uh, if, it, if it's a failure I'll blame him if it uh, changes my life uh, by the time of our interview I'll be thanking him but, but um, I got this app this was stupid I went on the app store and Which I was like, it? "Well, I don't want to say what okay, it is okay. because I don't want to promote it because uh, <laughs> okay. I, I, you know, I don't know if it's good or bad. It's yeah. only been a few days, okay. but but I did get an app. Uh, and what these these apps? I mean, it reminds me of Clubhouse. Have you noticed that being just being on Clubhouse means you get a notification uh-huh. every friggin' twenty I, minutes? I like, had to turn it off. Temp- I tr- I've tried. I keep going on Clubhouse. I keep going. Infrequent, as yeah. infrequent as possible. Just I turn keep, it kn- off. and it just keeps telling me, "Keon is in this room." <laughs> <laughs> Chef Haas is another, you know, in his thirtieth room today. I like, I'm just like, stop talking. So now I've got this. It's enough that Clubhouse keeps ringing my phone. <laughs> yeah. Now I've got this uh, intermittent fasting app, and this thing is. I mean, they've programmed this thing to be so enthusiastic yeah, yeah. that it's just over the top. Like, I don't need this level of enthusiasm. <laughs> so it's like you are 90 minutes into your fast. It's like, dude, it's okay. I made it through the first hour, thank you. you know, you've know, you just made two hours into oh your fast. God. You know, Drink some water and I'm, I don't know how to turn it off. It just keeps talking to me. You know, I want us just like, I, m- I might start eating just to deny it the off. enthusiasm of this app.
1: You can control all this by the way. I, I know, had the I same d- app. I, I just think. don't know how to, I, I, t-
0: I haven't figured out how to control it yet. It's controlling me every couple of minutes. It's telling me like it's been another few minutes that you've been fasting. It's like, I don't need you. And it reminds me that I'm hungry, you know, when it keeps telling me these things. It's like, I I wouldn't think about it, but when it goes, oh, now you made two hours fasting. It's like, oh, uh, do I want a muffin right now? It reminds me, when I
2: used to fast, or take a fast on Ramadan. Fast, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. when when I used to fast on Ramadan, uh, in the morning, you have to stop eating from the uh, morning, uh, the call mo- to prayer yeah, yeah yeah so and the radio uh, announced it frequently like <laughs> so you have to, you have to gorge it. Yeah.
0: you know what somebody told me actually uh, that i uh, upon telling them that i'm doing this intermittent fasting they were saying but you know in ramadan a lot of people get fat Yes, that's that that's right. that's surprised I've me. I've heard the
1: opposite. No, no
0: apparently, that. apparently you put on. I guess because also because you're eating before you sleep, right? Oh. Or yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. Right. You eat at the actually yes in the middle of night. You eat something, then you go to sleep, and again at the night you eat a lot you know and but so d- these are
0: not absolutes by the way <laughs> if you're listening and you're currently fasting for ramadan we don't know i mean you maybe you're losing weight yeah. Yeah. who knows what's opposite. happening
1: your appetite d- decreases and in turn your stomach is smaller so don't don't you
2: take that makes food? sense
0: also okay yeah. Yeah. who knows well uh yeah and, and the, also this thing about the intermittent fasting is and then for those eight hours eat whatever you want as much as you and i don't know if that's uh, really, do you so, do that? well, yeah, so far i'm like okay I'll, i think i've gained six pounds <laughs> for the last three days just eating whatever i want for those eight hours uh, <laughs> no you know what it is though i think it i think what these things the, the reason they work is because it just makes you conscious of your eating habits. Mm, yeah. So all of a sudden, I'm not eating late at night. My my thing is like, oh, it's before I go to bed. I'll have a peanut butter sandwich <laughs> or something, you know. Uh, and now I'm not doing that because I because the app is reminding me <laughs> <Nine minutes laughs> that I have to your fast. <laughs> So maybe that's, it. what happened to you? You didn't want to I, do it? it?
1: It was good for a while, but then, man, the weekend comes around, you're like, ah, oh, screw this, <laughs> yeah. intermittent fasting. But I think so you can you,
0: have a cheat day, can't you? Or, I, yeah.
1: I don't know, if you're doing it right, I don't think you're right. supposed to, but. No, uh, yeah, but it, it I don't know, and
0: also, like, how is it gonna work with, once we get back after COVID, like at Persian Mahmouni's, the food comes out at one in the morning.
1: Exactly. How am I gonna have my 16 hours
0: of uh, <laughs> 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 fasting? That's
1: the other thing, like, I you I can't can, eat on I forever. have to continue
0: quarantining. <laughs> yeah. to to not eat? Yeah. yeah, I don't know.
1: But no, it's good. It's good to do well, once in we'll a while. We'll
0: see. Who knows? But anyway, I'll, I'll, I mean, I, yeah, I'll probably stick with it for a couple of days. <laughs> I don't know how long it'll last. Uh, to be honest, the only thing right now that's annoying me about this is this app that keeps talking to me and telling me how great I'm doing. You know, if, if that's the only reason I would stop right now to be able to delete this thing. But um, if you have any tips for me out there, you can. Uh, let us know on any of our platforms or info at rookmedia.com if you're a fan of the show if you listen to us regularly our website is rookmedia.com and you can become a patron where you sign up for 5 bucks or 10 bucks a month that means a lot to us as we crowdfund uh, this to resource the show so rookmedia.com just press the support us button we notice it when you guys become uh, patrons and we really appreciate it and we're working on a special mail out That goes to the patrons, Keon.
1: Do explain.
0: Well, I'm not going to right okay. now, but we will. We will get to it. It is Monday, and we have letters. Yeah. Uh, what are we talking about today? Far- yeah, that's right. We we have
1: quite a pile of letters from that interview. All
0: right. We will get to those. Captain Reza, Groovy Shia, Fabius Kion. Strap yourselves in. Let's get to our feature guest. You know, Noruz has just passed not too long ago, and it's a big year. A new millennium in the Persian calendar. The year fourteen hundred. And we thought this might be a good opportunity to explore what the Iranian identity, culture and civilization was before 1400 years ago, or more specifically, perhaps in a pre-Islamic era. My featured guest today is an acclaimed cultural historian specializing in the broader Iranian world, encompassing societies from the Balkans to India and China. Dr. Richard Foltz is a Canadian scholar of American origin. He is a specialist in the history of Iranian civilization. What is sometimes called the Great Iran. He also worked extensively in, in environmental ethics and animal rights. Richard holds a PhD in Middle Eastern history from Harvard University. He also has a degree in Persian literature and applied linguistics from the University of Utah. He has taught at Kuwait University, Brown University, Columbia, and the University of Florida. And he is currently a professor of religions and cultures at Concordia University in Montreal. Richard also worked for several years in Europe as a musician, a film critic, and a travel writer. He is the author of 11 books and over 100 scholarly articles. His work has appeared in more than 10 languages. His most recent books are A History of the Tajiks, Iranians of the East, and Iran in World History. And right now, Professor Richard Foltz joins me from Quebec today. Hello, sir. Hello, it's nice to have you. I, I say Quebec, by the way, because even though you are a professor in Montreal, I know that you're in some beautiful, quiet, rural place right now. One of the strange fringe benefits of a deadly pandemic, I suppose.
3: Yes, yes, yes. Uh, they, they took the opportunity uh, provided by this uh, uh, distance teaching, this online teaching, and uh, yeah, we could you know, be where we like to be nice to
0: be out of the city while all of this is going on. Surely, although Montreal is a beautiful city to live in. Uh, Richard, let me let me start with you, because you're an interesting guy. I mean, you self-identify as an Iranologist. Uh, do you remember, you're clearly, I, I'm guessing, not Iranian in terms of your own ethnic or national background. Do you, do you remember when you first became uh, seduced by all things Iran and wanted to immerse yourself in Persian civilization, culture, and history?
3: Well, it was a—I suppose you could say—a rapid seduction, preceded by a bit of uh, unforeseen groundwork. I—I I, um, always loved the, the art, architecture, and music and food of uh, medieval northern India. So I like to eat in Indian restaurants. I li- listen to Hindustani music. I loved Mughal miniature paintings and and and, and Mughal architecture and. Um, uh, And and I just, you know, I thought that I liked India. Um, Then around 1986, uh, on a visit to my parents in Salt Lake City, I I, I met an Iranian fellow, um, uh, which led to meeting eventually pretty much every Iranian in Salt Lake City. And uh, as I got immersed in, in Persian culture, I realized that everything I liked about India actually came from Iran. And that made me curious. Well, I want to go back to the source. I want to see what, you know, I want to to learn about the original. And it just so happened that, uh, well, what was intended to be a month-long visit to my parents uh, ended up lasting two years um, because uh, my visit coincided with the beginning of an eight-week summer-intensive Persian language course at the university, one of only two universities in the United States that had such a program. And I thought, well, let me just, you know, check this out. Um, I'll stay an extra month and I'm meeting all these Persians. So it's an opportunity to practice what I'm learning. And well, I mean, to make a long story short, one thing led to another and, you know, 35 years later, here I am, you know, making a living at it. So um, not complaining.
0: The seduction is complete. Um, there is something I wonder about. You know, when, when you say you've been doing this for 35 years, I, I imagine you have a perspective on this question, which is that, is there some kind of uh, advantage to not being Iranian and doing the kind of work you do? I, I am reminded of an interview we did on this program last year with Andrew Scott Cooper about his book on the Shah. And he said that when he was doing his research, when he was doing his interviews, that his subjects, those he was interviewing, predominantly Iranians, many in Iran, for example, were sometimes more open and candid with him because, uh, to put it sort of bluntly, they didn't feel like he had any kind of horse in the race, you know, if you will. H- have you encountered that?
3: Um, I've encountered many, many things <laughs> over the years. I, I, It I would be really difficult to... Um, sort of pull out of that miasma of experience what would be the dominant version I, I i don't know um i mean there are advantages and disadvantages to being an outsider but especially i can say over time uh, I, I was you know a, a, a iranian damad for 28 years um, and uh, so I, I figure I'm probably about 15 per to 20% Iranian <laughs> now just by osmosis. Right. I mean, there are you know, things about my character and my outlook now that can you know, only be traced to the influence of you know, being around Iranians and spending a lot of time in Iran. So I don't know if I can even claim to have the outsider's objectivity anymore.
0: But surely you're considered, you must be considered a curiosity at some forums oh, yes. or, or in some places where they look at you and go, okay, this white guy from Utah named Richard is, is, is you know, knows more about our background than we do.
3: Well, I don't know if I know more, but I, I mean, I, I study things and you acquire information. Um, and I do have, you know, sort of dual perspective, I suppose. What's funny is like in Iran, if I go to visit a historical site, you know, they have, dual pricing, you know, Iranian pricing and foreigners pricing. So I always go up to the ticket window and I ask them in Persian, you know, uh, for a ticket. And they kind of look at me like, you know, (laughs) and I say, well, (laughs) and I'm about 50-50 on that. About 50% of the time they give me the Iranian price and 50% they give me the foreigners price.
0: (laughs) Right, right, right. Uh, You know, let me just turn it around, uh, though, as well and say, as you would know, especially in academia, we live in a moment of sensitivity, surely around cultural appropriation and identity. Do you ever get confronted about a speaking for Persians? I know that's not your intention, uh, but well, has hasn't that ever been happened
3: to me? And, and it hasn't happened to me, and probably because I'm always quite forthcoming about the fact that I do not speak for Persians. You know, I I, I have never pretended to to be in a position to. Uh, illuminate you know, the Persian point of view, um, I present myself as, a, a, as an outsider and as a sympathetic outsider. And, and Iranians are very, very appreciative of that. Uh, Iranians, of course, are, are uh, probably you know, rivaling the French for the world's leading uh, chauvinists. And you know, so the best way into an Iranian's heart is to, is to show how much you love their culture. And, um, and, and that's not true of all people. Mm-hmm. Um that's not not it's not true of all peoples. Uh so I really appreciate it. I really appreciate the the, the welcome that I've always had um, in Iranian homes and Iranian environments. Um and, and, and but it's because right away, you know, when Iranians see that you appreciate um their their culture, then uh, they warm up to you
0: until you would advance a, a thesis or an opinion they don't like. Uh, that that that. Can you know, sometimes- I
3: don't. I yeah. I've never really gotten into a serious argument with an Iranian because they're so polite with with foreigners. <laughs> you know, and maybe right. that's one of the that,
0: advantages. There's the, the advantage. Yeah.
3: They won't you know get down and dirty with me in that sense. So you know they will you know say well FDR, darin. You know I mean we we will agree to disagree on that one. Right. Right. Um,
0: right.
3: So yeah.
0: Let let me get into this then. Um, And you'll forgive me in in advance if I ask some very basic questions, because uh, if there's something I don't know about, it's it's history before 1400 years ago. So uh, I come to you as a child looking for wisdom. Uh, And we we do want to go way back. I mean, this conversation, it's interesting because uh, it's kind of refreshing to not be debating what happened in the 20th century, but uh, but what Iranians are and who we are dating back thousands of years. So let me start with something very general. Uh, Iran gets talked about as being the nexus of east and west situated at the crossroads is a you often hear that situated at the crossroads geographically historically but is it fair to say that iran has culturally been situated at the crossroads of east and west as well
3: i think that it depends on what you're talking about i think that there yes if you're going to talk about say the silk road um, as a conduit for cultural transmission over the centuries, um, you've got China on the one end, and you've got the Mediterranean on the other end, and Iran is at the nexus of that. And it was Iranians, mostly Sogdians, who were Iranians, um, uh, but you know, Iranians who were the principal agents of this cultural exchange along the Silk Road throughout all of these centuries. I mean, China is trying to tell a different story right now. I'm. Maybe going to try to write a book uh, to sort of counter that, um, mm. recenter the Silk Road, as it were, where it belongs. But um, in that sense, you could say that Iran is a nexus. But in my book, which you mentioned before, Iran and World History, which was absolutely written for people who don't know anything about Iran, and I was, I mean, it was, it's pleasant to see that it was actually translated twice in Iran in, in two different Persian editions. So, you know, it's always gratifying when Iranians um, find, you know, interest in what I'm, I'm doing. But I, I want to make clear I, I, I never pretended to teach Iranians about their own culture. That's right. not my right. aim, and I, I don't have the capacity to do it. My aim has been to. Uh, open the eyes of Westerners to aspects of Iran's contribution to history that they may be unaware of. So my audience, my intended audience, is absolutely Westerners and not, uh, uh, not Iranians. And in this book, I take the approach of saying that as Westerners, it's important for us to understand, because we tend to trace our civilization rightly or wrongly back to ancient Greece and Rome, And um, if Greece and Rome are the foundations of Western civilization and Western identity, then I think it really behooves us to recognize and accept and to value the fact that this development of a self-conscious Western identity could only emerge through interaction with the mirror of the other, which was precisely Persia. Right. It was, you know, it was it was through interactions with Iran that the Greeks uh, and and later on the Romans um, defined who they were. We are not them, and, and in other words, Western identity could not exist as it does without that Iranian mirror, and that's something that is rarely, if ever, talked about yes. in Western civilization courses or discussions and i just wanted to sort of bring that onto the
0: table Well i was going to say you've you've talked about it but let me let me get to that i just want to stick with this east and west uh delta or or, or paradox in a sense because when it comes to self-identity it occurs to me there's something interesting here which is that we are uh we i mean iranians are distinctly eastern i mean iran is situated in asia if you look at the the whole world uh, a map you know and yet iranians often identify more with western europe in some ways i, I guess this is just one of the many paradoxes when it well comes, a certain comes...
3: kind of iranian does um uh, i i think you know especially from the 20th century onwards even probably going back to the 19th century uh, when a lot of wealthy iranian families started sending their sons off to france and germany to get educated um uh, I think that a certain class of Iranians tends to identify as Western, um, but I don't think that's necessarily true for Iranian society as a whole. Um, still, there is a, I guess, a different treatment, a different view of the West that one sees in Iran across the society, across all classes. And I've been reminded of that by some of my Afghan students, for example, when I when I talk in class about how Iranians are, you know, so uh, xenophilic, you know, they really love foreigners, they really love guests. Right. It's famous for being such a hospitable country. And my Afghan students will say, well, you know, that's your experience as a Westerner. That's right. not our experience right. as Afghans, right. you know. Yes. Um, which is interesting because Afghans are actually you know historically the same people as as the, as the Persians in, in so many ways. but you know I'm not uh, I'm not going to try to explain that but um.
0: if you were to uh, getting into this question of of uh, the roots of Iranians and Iran, if you were to in a nutshell explain it how how would you how should we view Iranian culture and civilization, in the pre-islamic era how would you describe it simply
3: well i begin my discussions of iranian civilization about 2000 bce for the very simple pragmatic reason that we have access to some data which indicates that there was something present at that time that we could Characterize as as an an Aryan self identity, and of course Iranian means Aryan. It's you know, etymologically, it's you know the 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 word, uh, it's reconstructed in historical linguistics. Aryo is probably close to the form that existed four thousand years ago, and it was clearly a self designation, and it probably meant something like we, the noble people. Right. So our group, our people. Be, are more noble than other people, and that's us, and that's what Arya means. And so that is a that is a, a term that continues to appear in different forms and different contexts in different parts of the world, right up to the present day. And of course, you know, and, and nowadays it's contaminated by, you know, its abuse by the Nazis in the 1930s. Um, so we have to sort of bracket that, set that aside, say that's a special case, we're not talking about that, but the word has a legitimate history, Aryan, and I think that it's legitimate to use it as a synonym for Iranian, because it's the same word in terms of uh, etymology. So what are some of the things that enable us to go back 4,000 years um, uh, and to actually locate it geographically, in the southern Ural Mountains.
0: Uh, 4,000 years or 3,000
3: years? 4,000. 4,000 years ago. I I wouldn't push it back more than about 4,200 years ago. There's a a civilization that existed for about 400 years in the southern Ural Mountains uh, region um, of what's now Russia, uh, you know, western Siberia, and the very eastern extremes of Europe, uh, north of the Caspian Sea. And this region was inhabited by a people over the course of about four centuries that archaeologists refer to as the Sintashta people or the Sintashta Archaim people. And this is, archaeologists always name cultures after locations where they find a certain, you know, set of cultural relics that, you know, that seem to constitute a culture. So there are things about the the archaeology of this region, which enabled us to, you know, to suspect very strongly uh, what their linguistic uh, identity was. Um, and some of this goes through uh, f- from uh, comparative linguistics and comparative mythology. So if we take, for example, the Avesta and the Rig Veda, so that represent, these are two texts that represent two peoples with a common history, with a common ancestry. You know, one of them wound up in Iran, the other wound up in India. So if we say that the split probably occurred somewhere around 3,500 years ago, then these texts probably started to emerge in the forms we have them today, a few centuries after that, once the dialects had started to diverge. So we compare both the language itself and what the language tells us. So for example, In historical linguistics, you have something called isoglosses, so you take a word, and you can plot that word on a map, historically, you can say, you know, uh, the word for birch tree, well, it certainly originated in a region that had birch trees, Hmm. you know? You wouldn't think, you know, that the word for palm tree originates in Siberia, you know, that <laughs> right if you find the word for palm tree in Russian is going to be a loan word from some language of a people who live in a place where there are palm trees. Okay. So the reverse is also true. So when we find that the word for birch tree is common to all Indo-European languages, that suggests that the, that the original ancestors of all these, you know, sister languages lived in a place with birch trees so you draw that on a map you draw a line around the regions where and then you do that for all these different words and you get a narrow and narrower you know sort of territory that can kind of you know pinpoint where speakers of a particular language lived at a certain point in history so that takes us there in one sense but then you add to that comparative mythology the, one of the most interesting examples is horse sacrifice, what's called in the Rig Veda the asvamedha, And, you know, you, you, uh, horse sacrifice is not very common in India because you can't really raise horses there. It was always a bad place to raise horses. They had to bring them from Central Asia. So, but the horse sacrifice is really important in the Rig Veda and it gives you the description of how you do it. Now, they found burials in the Sintashta region, the Southern Urals, Dating about four thousand years ago, which clearly have followed the prescriptions for horse sacrifice that are spelled out in the rig veda So that again, it's another way of tying this to this this proto-Aryan culture.
0: So, uh, I mean, the thing like the horse sacrifices is not something that we relate to today in in as much as we take pride in iranian civilization and culture dating back thousands of years you have identified three threads of continuity things that we know of today or that we consider that we can identify immediately as iranians um, that are this continuity stream that go back thousands of years but are also as you've talked about problematic in their own way as well and the three are language land and the Persian literary tradition, specifically the Shah Nama. And I want to explore these three threads of continuity, if you will. Uh, let's start with language.
3: Yes. So Persian is a member of the Iranian language family, which is itself a subgroup of the uh, Indo-European language family. So, you know, distantly related to English and French and Russian, uh, Armenian uh, and, you know, and much more closely related to, you know, Hindi and Bengali uh, languages uh, 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 of India because, as I mentioned, Avestan and Vedic were very, very closely related languages going back uh, to the second millennium BCE. Uh, and, and, of course, Persian is not the only Iranian language spoken today. It's the best known, but Kurdish is, you know, spoken by 30, 40 million people. That's an Iranian language actually very close to Persian. Um, Baluchi uh, uh, in, in, you know, Pakistan, Iran, Afghanistan. Uh, uh, Pashtun, which is uh, spoken, you know, by millions and millions of people in uh, Afghanistan and Pakistan. Um, uh, and many, many smaller languages, um, uh, such as those found in the uh, valleys of the Pamir Mountains in Tajikistan. And, and also um, uh, in, in the Caucasus Mountains, in the Central Caucasus, where I've been living and working. Uh, a lot of the last two years. The assets uh, are, are speakers of an Iranian language distantly related to, to Persians. Is, so, that, is
0: that why it's problematic? Because Persian doesn't represent all Iranians? Because, uh,
3: yes, the, this is the point. And uh-huh. after I published this book on the Tajiks, because they've been subjected to first to 70 years of Soviet nationalist propaganda, followed by 20 years of Tajik nationalist propaganda, <laughs> and they, they've completely lost touch with historical reality in terms of, of, of who they are and where they come from. Um, and actually, many Tajiks are offended when you call them Iranians, and you know, which is ridiculous, um, because uh, Tajiks uh, well, they speak they speak Persian. You know, it's the same language, um, and and they have basically the same cultural history right up until you know 1747. You know, as recently as 1747, Sa- Samarkand and Bukhara, you know, belonged to uh, Nadir Shah's empire. So. But, you know, that that gets lost (laughs) amongst the nationalist, uh, you know, diatribes uh, uh, today. So, but Iranian is the broader category. And I, you know, when I call myself an Iranologist, I'm interested in everything Iranian. Persian is a much, much narrower category, but it's the most famous one. It's the best known, starting with the, you know, Achaemenid Empire, which is often referred to as the Persian Empire. Um, So that, you know, connection between Greece and Persia, you know, is the beginning of this sort of dominance of the persian aspect uh, of iranian civilization in the western psyche
0: so do you you think it's fair that we see i mean i bring this up because it 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 gets said a lot like it's been said to me a, a whole bunch you know but the Persian, we have the persian language it is much before the arabs you know like it's like we we had this thing and then the you know and this is the way we can see our thread way before islam way before the arabs came and uh is it fair to embrace the persian language that way
3: well, it's a beautiful language with a great and noble history, so why not? I mean, I'm, I'm proud that it's one of the three languages I speak fluently. Um. It's got such a rich tradition. Um, uh, I mean, I'm always telling my students when they say, oh, yeah, I read, you know, a book by Rumi. It's so good. And I think I said, well, you didn't read a book by Rumi because you read it in English. If you want to read a book by Rumi, you have to learn Persian.
0: <laughs> okay, so the only flag on the play is that just don't think it represents all Iranians because there it are doesn't. Other... It yeah, doesn't. Right,
3: it right. doesn't. But, you know, the Shahnameh, which was one of the uh, sort of polls, cultural poles that you mentioned, Yes. Um, I think, uh, goes deeper. Well, be, you know, before we get away from Persian, we can say most Iranians don't speak Persian, or most Iranians historically have not spoken Persian, but most have known about it and respected it as a, as a kind of linguistic role model.
0: Wait, most Iranians uh, haven't spoken Persian?
3: Yeah, most Iranian peoples you know, what I mean, speaking? if you're talking about Assets or Baluch or whatever, oh. you know, these are Iranian peoples or even Kurds, you know. Um, uh, I mean, if you add up all the speakers of Iranian languages today, I wouldn't say that Persian speakers are more than half of the total.
0: Oh, really? That's interesting. Uh, but
3: my point is that whereas the average Iranian might not know anything about Ossetian, you know, well, the average Ossetian definitely knows about Persian and definitely knows that Ossetians are Iranians you know. Um, so uh, I, I think that the, the Persian language does have this prestige. Um, and it's seen in the literary traditions of all the neighboring peoples from the Balkans, you know, from the from the Albanians to the Uyghurs, you know, including the Bengalis, their literary traditions up to modernity are calced upon Persian norms. You know, they are even writers who didn't know Persian wrote in their own language, in a Persian way, according to Persian literary norms. So the Persian language, in that sense, um, you know, has a, has a status and a prestige that I think, uh, I mean, in the last 150 years, it's waned dramatically, um, as we see French waning now. You know, I mean, the French don't want to accept that it's not the language that it was 100 years ago, the language of international diplomacy. But before that, it was Persian. Marco Polo spoke Persian, you know, I mean, you know, because that was the language an Italian businessman who wanted to, you know, do business on the Silk Road needed to learn it. You know, the British, when they they colonized India, they, they set up these chairs of Persian at Oxford and Cambridge to train civil servants, because if you were a young, ambitious Englishman who wanted to go make your career in India, you had to learn Persian to get a job, you know, to go and work there. And that was up until 1837 when they switched to the official language to urdu
0: let me segue to the literary traditions yeah. that you've mentioned because that's a big one and that's one that we we regularly will cite most iranians will say rumi hafez uh, you know and then omar hayam and uh, and of course the Shah and this is something that we see as a thread of continuity through the centuries uh, <laughs> through the thousands of years what's problematic about that anything
3: Well, what's there, I mean, there's nothing inherently problematic about, you know, um, being a culture which is literature centered. I rather admire it. uh, uh, I'm a person who loves literature and I bemoan the fact that we're increasingly entering a post-literate world where people don't read. Um, So I really admire this about Iranian culture, that literature is so much at the very center of it. So I don't really find a problem with that. Um, But of course, I think what you're maybe hinting at is that Iranians are prone to exaggeration, and I I, I don't think anybody would deny that. And uh, one aspect of that can be maybe to project things too far into the past, Um, Persian literature is truly one of the great literary traditions, you know, that humanity has produced, but it started in the Islamic period, and it was built upon Arabic literary norms, okay, all these great Persian poets, they started writing poetry based on the very sophisticated oral traditions of the Bedouin Arabs, and they were just doing it in Persian, instead of uh, Arabic. And the poetry that we have in Middle Persian, Persian from before that is, it, there's not much of it that survived, but it's not that good. So if you're going to talk about literature as, you know, source of national pride, do it, but, you know, give it its proper starting point, which is basically the 10th century.
0: You, you talk about Ferdowsi himself being a Muslim, right?
3: Yes, yeah, so a Muslim who... Who made his uh, his you know his lasting fame uh, by collecting pre-Islamic heroic stories that celebrate the pre-Islamic period and you know uh, this 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 great epic. Which ends in absolute tragedy, which right. is the coming of Islam. So right, right. there's a real irony there. You know, it's a Muslim a Muslim poet <laughs> is you know working for Muslim patrons for a Muslim audience, basically presenting Islam as the end of civilization instead of the start right, of right, civilization.
0: Right, right, right. I want to come yeah. back to that. It's too rich I, there, and you've written a fair bit about that. I want to come back to that. Let me just come to that third thread of continuity and and whether you see it as legitimate or where you see that. Maybe I should rephrase why is that problematic and just say, what are the complexities of seeing these as threads of continuity? Land. Land has been something that we use as a source of continuity.
3: Iran is, throughout most of history, it's an idea. It didn't become, we could say, a political entity as we see it today until 1935 when Reza Shah declared on the advice of his Nazi sympathizing ambassador in Berlin that it would be good to emphasize Iran's Aryan origins, and so he declared that henceforth the country would not be known as Persia, but it would be known as Iran uh, in international diplomacy, because before that everybody called it Persia. That's not to say that the idea of Iran wasn't present in the minds of Iranians, it was, but it's an idea, you know, the, the, the idea of Iran. So... Iran, Nabashad, Taiman Nabod. You know, this is an idea. It's not something physical and concrete. And that's what, to me, is really um, uh, unique and interesting about the notion of Iranianness. It's an affinity.
0: Hmm.
3: It's an affinity. It's not. That's why I say, you know, I can I, I can consider myself maybe you know fifteen to twenty percent Iranian now because I have this affinity hmm. or this idea of Iran, which I've absorbed and and people all over the world have absorbed that in Albania. You know, you have I mean, I, I met this Albanian journalist in Montreal at some art opening. And, you know, he started reciting Persian poetry to me. And I, I said, how do you even know that? He said, well, in Albania, it's part of our culture. I said, what? Why is it part of your culture? And and, you know, and of course, no rus is, is the is the example par excellence of this. You know, I want to come to Noru's, but uh, let me get so to Noru's.
0: Just tell me about land, because land, yeah, land. We, we, do, we do, we do.
3: That's point- the problem, because there's this notion of Iran-Zamin, uh-huh. you know, the land of Iran. Yes. And it's it's got an ear- earlier reflex, which is uh, Aryanam-Vayajam, which is the Avestan term, the, the land of the Aryans, but literally means the land of the noble, because Aryan means we, the noble people. So Aryanam-Vayajam, the uh, the. The, and, and so that later, you know, the later expression of that is, you know, well, in, in Middle Persian, it's Iran vej, but, you know, today people say Iran Zamin. So, and for the average Iranian, I think that includes Kabul. I think that includes Samarkand and Bukhara. I think it includes Baghdad. You know, Iran Zamin is not bounded, by the frontiers of the Islamic Republic of Iran. And that's what I'm always, you know, telling my students. I'll show them a slide of the Middle East political borders today, and then I'll show them a slide of the extent of, you know, the Iranian peoples, and they see that, you know, it's a very, very different uh, picture. And I think that when Iranians say the land of Iran, that's what they mean. But it's a feeling. It's a feeling. Hmm. It's not a physical reality with established borders. Um, And moreover, what's problematic is that, in, in early in the earliest times, this the, the, the physical land moved because the the, the Aryans were, were were nomadic and they they changed their location. They started off in western Siberia and they moved into Central Asia and then they moved into the you know uh, South Caspian plateau and eventually Mesopotamia. So it, it's only been for the past out of 4,000 some years of history, it, it's only been a little over half of that that Iran has been where it is today even as an idea
0: or forms right. of where it is cuz it would expand yeah. and contract with the Persian empire and, and all of yeah. that right but,
3: but for, i mean let's 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 just take note of the fact that the persian literary tradition which we talked about which was uh, developed in the in the 10th century that took place in bukhara you know in, in central asia what's now uzbekistan you know not in persia not in in fars or parsa it wasn't shiraz huh. it was bukhara you know, oh. and, and 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 that's really significant. That uh, is, I, I, I
0: think. You know, the, the more I uh, this is turning into one of those. The the more I know, the less I understand situations. <laughs> as well, you as you continue yeah, to talk, I'm going. <laughs> that's I mean, the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> is it I mean this is a, it's still so difficult because when you're talking about Iran as an idea I understand that has been said poetically many times I've heard that but but you're you're talking about it in sort of a granular way this is like you know this is something that shapeshifts it is confusing yeah. today as to yeah. who is and who is not an Iranian is it a person who lives in Iran is it a person like me whose parents and answers come from Iran is it a, a cultural mindset an idea as you're saying and it begs the question who were the original Iranian in the pre-Islamic era, and where do Zoroastrians and Kurds and Tajiks mm-hmm. fit in?
3: Well, again, for me, they're all Iranians, and, and, and I, I, I think that much is to be gained by taking the more inclusive approach, and much is lost by doing the opposite, and I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand these arguments over who can and cannot claim uh, to be Iranian. Again, I think it's an affinity it's an affinity, and if you feel that affinity, then you belong. You're you're part of it, and even people who don't know Persian, you know, uh, if if they have a feeling for these many manifestations of Iranian culture, then you know they're they're part of something common. Whether it's the music, or whether it's the food, or whether it's the politeness, or whether it's the hospitality, or whether it's the poetry, you know, whatever it is, if you if you have a feeling. When you participate in it, then you're part of it. You're not. A, you're not a foreigner. You're well, not who, ten- who
0: tends to make the argument about who can and can't be included?
3: Oh, they do. I remember when I was in graduate school. The you know the first there was a huge argument over whether to call the student organization the Harvard Persian Club or the Harvard Iranian Club. And then then they, when uh, the they had elections and the you know this Afghan guy got elected president. Uh, there were all these people who were angry and he's saying he's not iranian. he's he's from he's you know he's from Sharif. Well, I'm telling you this guy, and he now he's a really well-known reporter for Voice of America, he he could recite the Golistan from start to finish, you know right, right. I mean he he could recite the Shahnameh. He put them all to shame when it came to who's a real Iranian, you know he could make uh, you know gourmet sabzi to you know to 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 put to shame all of them but it was an argument they were saying no he can't be president yeah. he's from afghanistan so yes these arguments occur they break my heart i don't understand that
0: um all right, let let me. Um, uh, and by the way, your your book about the Tajiks is is fascinating, and you're the first one who's who's really done that that kind of an in depth study as a, as, a, as a contemporary historian. It's I've uh, had the joy of cracking the the covers on that, and I hope that uh, more people continue to check it out. Let me go back again three steps to something you mentioned, which is Noruz, and that is something else too that surely has been a major thread of continuity, Noruz. You've written and talked about the cultural import of Noruz, that it's more than just a, a holiday. Can you explain why?
3: It's an expression of membership in a community. It's, a, it's, a, it's an expression of identity. And again, it's something that goes so far beyond any definition of even Iranian, you know, because it's an important holiday in the Balkans. It's an important holiday in Western Mongolia. You know, I remember when I was a graduate student living in Uzbekistan, people got so excited about it and they say it's our national holiday. You know, it's a national Uzbek holiday. I'd say, oh, really? Mm -hmm. You know, so why has it got a Persian name? And they'd say, what do you mean? I'd say, well, you know, how do you say, you know, new day in Uzbek? And they'd say, Yangi Kun. And I'd say, how come you call it? Noruz instead of Yangi Koon, and they just they, they couldn't answer that. But, you know, they thought it's theirs. And, you know, I don't think that it's even originally an Iranian holiday. I think it's something that the Persians got from the Mesopotamians. I think that prior to their contact with uh, Mesopotamia, I think that the Iranians' uh, major uh, annual holiday was Mehergan in in the fall. I think was the harvest uh, festival um not the you know planting festival as 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 it were but that's neither here nor there it's become iranian over the last three thousand years but um so in a sense maybe it's an iranian cultural expression in in the sense that whoever celebrates it is expressing this common affinity with all the other people who are celebrating it everywhere else in the world is a common partaking and of course you know you you know as well as i do that for 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 any iranian it is the event of the year there's there's nothing that the islamic republic or anybody has been able to do to come up with an expression of identity that can that can come close to rivaling it you know i
0: mean you know what's interesting richard is it's this interesting marriage of a celebration of a holiday but there's a real sense of pride there too like i mean we don't in the west have new year's eve on january you know december 31st and feel pride in it you know like or or uh i I guess maybe some people do with christmas or easter i don't know but but there's real pride involved with noruz it's a real
3: joyous occasion and it's it's the you know and shiism is basically a culture of mourning so there's a there's a paradox there you know um that I am often, you know, trying to explain to people, but, but, but you know, because uh, people tend to think, oh, Iranians, they must be really pessimistic and negative. And I say, no, they're, they're the most life embracing culture. They they, are, they love to have fun. Well, boy, it doesn't look that way, you know, in these Moharam celebrations. Like, well, there's more to the picture than that. But that really comes out, of course, you know, starting, you know, with Darshan uh, Suri and, you know, and you know, going on for three weeks, you just got it's it's just a, a nonstop party. And you know, whatever it is, it's one of the most essential ingredients in Iranianness. That, uh, that one could
0: think of. Richard, there's something you said a, a few minutes ago, or at, at this point it might be about uh, 20 minutes, half an hour ago, that that I would be remiss if I didn't bring back to the conversation because it's, it's so interesting, and it's something that you've written about, I know, where you talked about Iranian civilization vis-a-vis the rest of the world, and it, it may be counterintuitive to some people that, that Iranian civilization, you've argued, has had an important impact and influence on the formation of Western civilization, as we know it i'm wondering if you can give examples of that i mean without being ridiculous about it can, what what do we see in western civilization that would have come uh as a mirror uh an attempt to mirror as you said uh iranian civilization
3: yeah i mean again um you define who you are by saying i'm not that right so um but, you know, the, the Greeks, they, they weren't entirely negative about the Persians, you know, they had some positive things to say, and I mean, the Persians invented the world's first postal service, and, uh, you know, the, and the first knotted pile rug, and, uh, uh, you know, and, and a lot of other things. But basically, if you read ancient Greek texts, I mean, I did as part of my, you know, general education, you know, growing up. Um, well, they're always comparing themselves with the Persians, hmm. you know? I mean, it, it take any text, and there's going to be some comment, it's like, well, the Persians do it this way, we do it that way. And, uh, and the, the examples are endless, but it's just, it's always there. The Persians are always there, you know, sort of on the other side of the border. And they're the presence. It, it's not anybody else. I mean, sometimes it's the Scythians, who are also Iranians, but overwhelmingly it's the persians when, whatever the greeks are talking about themselves and what's normal and what's right they they give the example of the persians and then they say and then this is how we do it and it, <laughs> that, that's that this the persians are the point of comparison
0: by the way you're a um you're of american heritage and you've been teaching in canada you know how canadians self-identify right
3: yeah, we're not. Well, I live in Quebec, which is a different story, and I. <laughs> okay, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, Quebec, <laughs> for that the, reason, the, the
0: answer is not American. Is is where, <laughs> I, where I was going with that? You know, you can't really get a Canadian beyond some sort of tacky sort of symbols, uh, the beaver or the you know the hockey stick or something, to really identify what being Canadian is. Other than we're not American. Uh, yes, the fact that we as Iranians have this. Um, rich history and impact on civilization is a point of pride for many Iranians. And I have to go here with you and see, you know, just to try it out on you. But I mean, some some of these folks who wear this with such pride would also not be caught dead being linked to the the nation state of Iran currently, you know, uh, the way it's being run and ruled. And, and yet there is this superiority complex about the past. From where you sit, are Persians justified in, in so-called peacocking? I mean, promoting ourselves based on our past? Or is this just a way to come to terms with the negativity around how Iran is seen today?
3: Well, it's probably both. Um, I mean, I think that pride is, uh, it, it can be a good thing up to a point, but then there's a point at which it's excessive. And there are times when it is, by virtue of being clearly unjustified it you know it, it it becomes a basis for ridicule and I think you know it's it's wise to avoid that um, but again I think that I think that Iranians have a lot to be proud of you know like the French have a lot to be proud of but you know what has France contributed to, to, to global civilization lately you know um, uh, I mean how long has it been since the croissant was invented? Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, but still, there are, uh, some nations have perhaps a stronger claim to greatness than others, and because Iranians have a very, very long history going back thousands of years, I mean, as a North American, I can only stand in awe of what that must feel like because you know I've done my own genealogical research and I really can't go back more than 150 years and, you know, basically to losers, you know, who were running away from Europe and looking, you know, for a place that nobody knew them. So, you know, I don't have much of a past to be proud of. And uh, so I'm, in a sense, envious of people who do. But the past is one thing and the present is another. Um, Of course, North Americans are very forward-looking, you know, because we tend not to have a past. We look to the future. Right. Uh, And Iranians, uh, like other, you know, great nations, uh, they tend to look to the past because they've got a lot of it to fall back on. And, and, And it can be a great comfort if you are, you know, in despair over the present, the way things are. If you're pessimistic about the future, it's really comforting to be able to say, yeah, but at least I come from a great... You know, civilization with a great and proud history, and you know?
0: yet you talk about—it's uh, a beautiful segue. You talk about the essential ambivalence at the center of Iranian cultural identity, and I want to weave back the Shah Shahnameh that you were talking about earlier because it's—it's it's such a rich idea what you what you put forward. I mean, I mean, there are those we we know them, I know the, the, who believe that that the last fourteen hundred years. Uh, since the coming of the Arabs and Islam ha- have been a sullying of a once great Persian civilization. And the Shahnameh itself glorifies Iran's pre-Islamic past, of, as you said. And, and to quote you, you say, uh, ends in disaster with Iran's glorious civilization being utterly destroyed by the barbarian Arabs. Was it all downhill after 650 BCE?
3: Well... I mean, it depends on, you know, um, which team you're playing for, I suppose. But to the extent that I have studied the history of the development of Islam, um, which is not my specialization, but um, I've I've spent a fair amount of time looking at at, at this aspect of Iranian history. um, It's quite abundantly clear that what we call the Islamic tradition today was shaped to a very large extent by people who were Iranians. Um, you know, the Arabs more or less were moved to the side of the scene within a hundred years or so. You know, I mean, Islam began as an Arab religion. It was called Adin din al-Arab, you know, the Arab religion uh, 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 for a hundred years under the Umayyad dynasty. But in you know 750, there was this massive revolution which came from Iran, which basically transformed Islam from an Arab religion into a multinational religion. So uh, Iranians were the principal agents in doing that. And over the coming centuries, I mean, you know, Muslims and non-Muslims alike who are not informed tend to imagine that everything in Islam is in the Quran, and that's simply not true. You know, you've seen the Quran; it's not a very thick book, um, and you know, there are many more things that are not addressed in the Quran than that are. And many of the things that are addressed in the Quran are really not that relevant to things outside 7th century Arabia. Mm -hmm. So where does all this massive tradition, this all-encompassing way of life come from? It was developed over a period of at least three to four hundred years. And when you look at that formative period, you see the transformations and what was happening and the different forces that were interacting. And the Arabs played a fairly small role in that. Um, Iranians were the predominant actors. So if we look at the result, you know, what's come down to us today that wasn't fully formed until about the 11th century, the, 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 the primary actors were Iranians. So, you know, if you are an Iranian Muslim, you can take great pride in considering that Islam is a truly and authentically Iranian religion. And if you're one of these Iranian nationalists that, that, that abhors Islam and wants to distance himself, you know, uh, from, from Islam... Um well you are going to have to deal with this reality uh that you know that uh, Iranians so so deeply implicated in what this religion became and moreover that you cannot escape the impact yeah. of this religion on all Iranians um uh, over the past 1000 years so i think the important thing is to be honest about that, but yes, it is a paradox, and it and it's problematic for a lot of people.
0: But as you say, it is both. It, it reminds me in a contemporary context of of the debate in the United States, because uh, the, America is so polarized that you'll, at any given time, depending on who the leader is uh, the, the, the the previous one or the current one, you know that that you'll have people going that person does not represent America, and then you kind of go, well, actually, half the country voted for that person, so yeah. they represent somebody, right? Yes. Uh,
3: that, that, that's absolutely true, and there's a real tendency amongst Iranians to sort of ignore large proportions of their own society. Um, but that's not unique to Iranians, I mean, especially nowadays with globalization. You know, we see that we all sort of exist in circles which are global and, you know, transnational, and we actually have more in common and more interaction with other members of our circles in other parts of the world than we do with people in our own country, in our own society who move in different circles. I think that to to, to some extent, that's just a reality that we all live in today.
0: It is such a great pleasure and honor, in fact, to get to talk to you and and to listen to your Pearls of wisdom, and and I only wish that uh, I could have you next to me uh, throughout the day and ask you questions constantly. I thank you so much for doing this. I have one final question or one final uh, Rubik's cube for to, to put in front of you and see if you could untangle for us um, around this notion of of paradoxes and how we grapple with identity and in, uh, in the current context. And I I um uh, my poor sister I invoke her often, but I have to mention you know she's a professor of linguistics. And when we talk about language sometimes, and I know you're a linguist as well, so you, you'll you relate to this. Sometimes when I come to her with something that's really bothering me in language, I'll say, this person used the grammar this way, or they said this word this way, or they pronounced it, or they wrote it like, she'll say, and she's supposed to be the expert, so I'm looking for some validation from her to go to set down these rigid rules. And she'll say, eh, language is fluid. It keeps changing, it's evolving. You can't, you can't impose rules upon, uh, you, you know, this because it's going to keep evolving and it reminds me of what I've read um, from you about identity where you say that the Iranian identity yeah it's full of paradoxes it's shape-shifting it keeps evolving it's somehow fluid so how do we embrace something that keeps shifting or is that just true of any culture
3: um yeah we live in a dynamic universe and maybe this is our predicament as conscious beings we want to constantly grasp onto things that are slipping out of our grasp you know this is why i suppose buddhism has been such a successful philosophy because you know it's pretty much hit the nail on the head you know and it's interesting that um uh, quantum physics is sort of now catching up with buddhism (laughs) and saying that there are no fundamental particles it's just you know, interactions and continuous transformation. So that's true of identity as it's true of anything else. So what I tried to do in that book that you mentioned, it was to try to tease out at least a few, you know, you mentioned three threads that seem to have some continuity uh, over several thousand years. So while the, you know, the forms are constantly, as you say, shape-shifting, um, that maybe there's something kind of stringing along there uh, that you can say, okay, that we can call it Iranian. Um, and to the extent that one is connected to that, well, you know, one is tapping into that identity.
0: It's been a great pleasure. I thank you for this today. Thank you. Bye-bye. What office? Richard Fulce, a professor of religions and cultures at Concordia University of Montreal. His most recent book is called A History of the Tajiks, Iranians of the East. Professor Richard Fulce joined us from Quebec today. Microphone's back on. Uh, Groovy shia Captain Reza, and the fabulous key on the Rook team, the Rook on air team are back here. Um, I need to process that. You know, uh, that w- I, I could have talked to him for another five hours. <laughs> it was so interesting <laughs> to me. I- I- th- there's so many things he said there that I, I am. Uh, so Persian is the minority language <laughs> for Iranians. <laughs> I mean, that's just like one of a hundred Mm -hmm. things he said that uh, are so interesting to me. And he, um, uh, I should once again say, if you enjoyed that chat, uh, first of all, I already want to bring him back, but uh, do check out his books because uh, um, they're really interesting reads based on, and we just scratched the surface. For the last hour but um really really worth checking out what an interesting guy huh
1: yeah i mean i could have handled another uh four hours of that i crave craved more it was over and i was like no i want more but that in general the historians that come on the show every time i'm just blown away um he brought up some interesting points that i never quite thought of this way that uh without the mirror of persia western civilization would have never existed because the greeks were always comparing themselves to persians he
0: actually has written a fair bit about that that Mm -hmm. that western civilization owes a debt to persia it was created based on trying to be the antithesis of the civilization. i guess i never
1: thought of it that way but it makes sense and that persian uh the persian language was a language of diplomacy i like this is this is not spoken about in Western culture. I grew up here, so I don't, you know, the education that I consume on, on Persian history comes from my from books that I read from my family. So I want more of this. You don't. I want you more don't, of
0: You don't know that the uh, Persian language is the language of diplomacy when you listen to Captain Reza. talk? <laughs>
1: Absolutely <laughs> not. Quite <laughs> the opposite when he speaks. <laughs> <Quite dumb. laughs> you know, Marco Polo oh, spoke Persian. For God's yeah. sakes, this is so unknown to a lot of people.
0: Captain Reza, what did you? How did you feel about well, this? Well, just
2: to piggyback on what. The last thing Keon said, like that was one of the things that took me by surprise. Like Marco Polo spoke Persian just to be able.
1: And and he said that a lot of the uh, Roman uh, traders and merchants, like they did that Mm -hmm. uh, and and they spoke like Persian back then there were a couple of things that really let
0: that be a lesson to non-Iranians out there if you want to get ahead in the world (laughs) (laughs)
3: learn
1: learn
0: Farsi Farsi, it'll (laughs) open doors for you (laughs) trust me so many opportunities Uh, only that has been the case for most of my life but anyway true but there was a
2: few other things like one that uh, he fell in love with when he went he was in India like he fell in love with
1: Uh, Anything Indian that was influenced by that was that that had Persian influence. That was so fascinating to me, and just in general, like his uh, honest and unbiased point of view on the Persian language and culture yeah, I loved it I'm definitely going to go back and listen to it listen
0: tonight. to how excited we are that a white guy likes us <laughs> we're like yes <laughs> it's he he appreciates he <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> he's brilliant I think he's, he's brilliant
1: it's because it validates what we already thought and we're, uh, we think that this is because we're Persian <laughs> but you know but a white guy validates we found
0: a guy who <laughs> yeah. can validate for us <laughs>
2: also he's, he had a very honest and well researched and truthful point of view oh, absolutely I'm yeah. joking I mean, yeah, so, but a he's a great He's a scholar. He <laughs> <a, you> know, <laughs> knows it. what he's
0: talking about. Uh, Shaja.
2: First of all, I trust historian. Uh, I mean, non-Iranian historian. I trust more. I don't know why. Because I think maybe <laughs> they don't have uh, any co- connotation yeah, of Iranian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so As he
0: said, no, no horse in the race, kind of mm, thing. No, yeah. yes. does, he's not playing on anyone's team. Yeah. yeah.
2: But I, I, really fascinated by the by the idea that how Iranian. Um, uh, helps to spread Islam it, it, yes. it was fascinating yes. for me that yes and it, and it makes sense for me when when I found some similar roots between let's say Zoroastrian and Islam I it makes sense for me though.
0: not nece- well yes not necessarily the Zoroastrians but, but he, he actually has written a fair bit about this in particular in, uh, in the, bu- the books that I mentioned uh, uh, he he spends a, a fair bit of time talking about the fact that uh, the paradox of uh, mm-hmm. uh, Iran the shahnameh you know Iranians rejecting uh, suggesting that Islam was the downfall of everything but have been the experts and yes. exponents of of, uh, of uh, proponents of, of Islam uh, over centuries um, that's something that we should probably bring them back for or you mm. know yeah. have a separate 100%. conversation about because that's very interesting and yes. and it it is a certainly a, po- a point of tension in our community you yeah, know exactly. uh, do we embrace I mean, it, 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 there was that point in the interview it was it was towards the end here we were just doing it where we said, I was I was talking about the you look at depending on how you look at the United States you go uh, can you believe that Trump became president It's like well I, actually yeah. half the population voted for him and yes. and there are still many people in Iran who embrace Islam It isn't the thing for. Many of uh, the, the folks in the urban centers or, you know, in the maybe middle-upper classes, uh, you true. know, who've come west, yeah. they, they see Iran in a different way. But at the end of the day, that that is a big part of the Iranian story as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Including you, Shaya. Yeah, you come I was, from a religious family. I was,
2: uh, yeah, I was going to say I was raised in a fa- religious family. And... Most of them, they are still religious. Yeah. Some of them, like me, we left our uh, our religion. But yeah, uh, most of them are still embracing Islam. And yeah. To be huh.
0: continued, yeah. to be continued. Very thought-provoking. Uh, I'd love to hear people's thoughts on this interview. Uh, you post on any of our platforms that you've listened to or send us an email at info at rookmedia.com about Professor Richard Foltz. Really enjoyed that. All right. It's Monday, I could only mean one thing, letters of the week.
1: All right. I get so excited for the letters, and then <laughs> Captain Reza <Yeah>. does his It <laughs> just, just kills the vibe. Oh. <laughs> anyway, uh, so about a week and a half clears ago. Clears the room. He clears the dance floor <laughs> with that. Oh, God, Reza. Just for once, please, just mute. I'll try. <laughs> All right. Uh, about a week and a half ago, for our 100th episode, Very we nice. had the legendary Iranian-American singer, songwriter as well, Farah Aslani on the show, the man with the satin voice. Yes. So uh, I've been saving these letters. We've had quite a pile uh, coming in. So on YouTube, we have username GoEagles. I'm assuming he's a football fan. Right. <laughs> uh, says, I found Farah to be very honest and interesting. Had heard a few of his songs, but didn't know the singer. Excellent interview. Nice. And then we Nice have to have people discovering Faraz Yeah, rise, like, hey, yeah it's That's amazing. interesting. Yeah. yeah. And then we have Turaj Khosravi wrote, You did it again, Rook. That was the best of the best episode indeed. Keep on doing the great job.
0: Oh, thank you, Turaj.
1: Very nice. On Facebook, we have uh, Mojgan Bigdelo wrote, I fell in love and got addicted with his music when I heard Ruzi in my early 20s. He sings directly from his heart to ours. He's amazing. Thank you, Gian, for the fantastic interview.
0: Thank you, Mojgan. Uh, Age Yeruz. Yes. Did, did she write Yeruzi? Yeah, oh, she wrote...
1: Well, is it? But it's saying like Age Yeruzi. Isn't nah, nah, nah,
0: it? But it's called Age Yeruz. But <laughs> okay. That's okay. But yeah. Okay, cool. We'll take it.
1: Uh, all right, on Instagram... Thank you, though. <laughs> a
0: lovely comment.
1: On Instagram, we have Mariam Gul wrote, Thanks to Gian and Rook for all the wonderful interviews. Congrats on your 100th episode and to many, many more. Shout out to Gian. You are a, an amazing interviewer, nice. especially this interview with one of my favorite musicians and songwriters.
0: Thank you, who is that?
1: This was Mariam Gol.
0: Thank you, Mariam. that was so kind. Yeah,
1: and then we have Samiro Tolebi wrote, simple and beautiful poems that touch the heart. Today I realized how late I fell in love. I fell in love for the first time at age 26, and that's in reference to Fatima's talking about his love story from age six. Oh, from six, six years it old, was yeah. Adorable. I was wondering
0: what that reference yeah, was. Okay, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, and she goes on saying, congrats on your 100th episode. Special thanks to Keon John for her, for her exciting content in the It's All Persian to Us segments. Kian Dora kam kam Hame Chizoro bin Iran Mizana. I speak the truth.
0: That means uh Kian is slowly <laughs> suggesting that everything came from Iranian.
1: Well after today's interview it kind of makes That's more true. sense, there doesn't you go. it? <laughs> and then we have Pegita Mahmoudzadeh wrote, Congratulations on the 100th episode of Rook. Shout out to all the shining stars of Rook Media Team. With no doubt, Mr. Faromarz Aslani is one of the top Iranian's absolute musical legends. Nice. And then we have B4 wrote, he might be the Leonard Cohen of Iran, but when he speaks English, he sounds like Christopher Walken of Iran too. Such a humble and down to earth artist. Really enjoyed the interview. Thanks to the Rook team for another great job. Mm, nice. <laughs> uh, and then we have John Cash, 17, wrote, easily the best interview with Eslonian in years. Well done, Gian. I have truly forgotten how extraordinary your, you are at your craft.
0: Thank you. Wait a minute. Forgotten? <laughs> Why have you forgotten how extraordinary <laughs> I am? Well, he's uh,
1: remembered now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's very kind. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. And then we have Letter of the Week. <laughs> yeah.
0: You're supposed to build anticipation. Well,
1: I it, co- blurred off, it out like that. It caught me off guard, <laughs> to be honest. I was like, well, oh, we've uh, arrived.
0: Letter of the Week. Yeah.
1: Well, this week's Letter of the Week goes to Sheila Nahvar. Nah-
0: Var
2: I think
1: Naharvar 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 Okay so this week's Letter of the Week Goes to <laughs> Sheila Naharvar Thanks, Shia, Shia. Sh- thanks sh- Sheila Shaya Thanks <laughs> Sheila <laughs> Thanks Sheila Thanks Sheila and Shaya <laughs> <laughs> Alright She says Congratulations To Rook's Professional team For achieving 100 episodes Successfully Such a great Artist selection Jianjian, Your fascinating Interview elicits A great deal Of Farah Maers's Insights That was quite Intriguing to me and for sure to all his fans. Great job. Ah, Very nice.
0: Thank you so much, Sheila. Thank you to all the... And thanks, she says, congratulations to Rook's professional team. Like. She hasn't met Captain yeah, Reza. I think she's I guess, excluding right? Reza on that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that we both go to Reza. for yeah, Reza. <laughs> that might, that'll get you guys back. You know, <laughs> how does this happen, Reza? Mix, how do you become... Next time on the mix RBR. <laughs> uh-huh. I, 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 that's right. That's right. You. If I'm you stop the be. We... It
1: used to be me. I used to have Reza's uh, job. Now it's moved on. to him. The like... chopped liver yeah, position? Pretty yeah, pretty much.
0: <laughs> uh, listen, thank you to all you folks for writing. Uh, I know there were more letters, too, by Faraz Aslani. We really appreciate it when you guys... Uh, Comment on our stuff and uh, hope that you keep listening and become patrons at RookMedia.com. Thank you, the fabulous Keon, Captain Reza, Groovy Shy, the whole Rook team. This is full time for Rook for today. I should mention the uh, names of that amazing team who put this show together each week Savvy Rohan, Thoughtful Nagin, Hanta the Artist producer Susan the fabulous Keon Aray Mehrdad, Master Muhammad Captain Reza and Groovy Shaya listen thank you to all of you out there supporting us and uh, becoming patrons sharing our content telling others about it please subscribe if you've not done so already just press subscribe on any of our platforms so you know about new episodes find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi have yourself a great few days we'll see you Thursday and. Mizu Bashi.